You're listening to audio from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. If you'd like to learn more about Parkview, find more resources, or give to our ministry, please visit parkviewchurch.org. So great to give praise to our God and to remember his loving tenderness to us. It's good to be together this morning, and I want to just take a moment just... From time to time, we get asked where the preaching pastors go when they leave this service. And, and it, please don't take it personal, or it's not, we don't like you. Uh, we go across town, we preach at our other site, and then we come back and preach here for the third time. So uh, the upside to that is um, that means we pastors can never run long. So I hope you appreciate that, because if we run long, these services fall like dominoes. It's a disaster. Uh, so anyway, we, we were pretty disciplined about being on time, but... The past several weeks, we've been emphasizing house, household initiative, in it, which has been our vision as a staff to, to cultivate a welcoming and enjoyable environment for our guests and for one another. And we've really been focusing on the tactic of the initiative of, of walking in other people's shoes, as Thomas put it. And we're encouraging you to meet someone new to, to make some context and make other people feel welcome. And we as staff, we just, we love you, but we can't do this on our own. So it really it involves all of us. And we're not supposed to do it all. It's supposed to be the church doing this. So uh, God gave the whole body of the church to be the church, to minister to one another in this way. And uh, we've loved to see you embrace this initiative and uh, all the good conversations that are happening and people meeting each other Keep at it. We're not stopping that, okay? It's very important. We haven't, we're not changing that plan at all. But now we encourage you to do that, but we want you to now consider the second initiative, which is to make, it's the whole idea that many hands make light work. Uh, Parkview takes over 60 volunteers on a Sunday morning just here at this campus to make things happen. And we have uh, a pool of, of like 280, but uh, we're grateful for them, but we have other things that we need to do yet, and, and uh, so we need more volunteers. Now, if you're currently volunteering in some capacity on a Sunday morning, I'd like you to stand up, if you would, and, and be seen. Sunday morning volunteers, many of them are working right now, but look how many there are here. Let's give these people a, a hand. Thank you so much for serving in this way. We have... Uh, a lot more to do. We still hope to offer children's ministry in our second hour here, but that just means more volunteers, and so we'd encourage you to think about volunteering in different ways and jumping in. Uh, there's a display out in the lobby as you're heading out. You'll see it uh, next to the mission statement wall, and there's cards that are currently available so you can see what's going on. I'd encourage you to, after the service to take a look and see what role might suit you, and, and we'll get you started. So please consider that helping in that way. Parkview Church exists to glorify God by the whole church making whole disciples for the good of all people. And we define a disciple as one who learns Jesus and loves Jesus and, and lives Jesus. And we know that sometimes it can be difficult to apply uh, God's word to, to daily life. Sometimes it's hard if we go in through a book like we are. And so we, we're taking this short series just to address some of those uh, issues and concerns that we commonly face as human beings. And we're praying that this series will be of great benefit to you. Last week we talked about the subject of anxiety. And worry and anxiety is a human response, and it's normal, but sometimes it can lead us into sin, so we've got to be careful. It can also either push us 
uh, to God or away from God. So we've got to be careful how we handle that. It also can push us away from one another, or it can push us into deeper gospel community, which is what we're hoping for. We also know that worry and anxiety usually results in struggle or submission. Charles Spurgeon said, We know so little about the future that to worry about it would be the height of foolishness. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but empties today of its strength. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? The Apostle Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Finally, 1 Peter, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Isn't that good news? He cares for you. Today we'll look at the compassion Jesus had for the brokenhearted. We will see that he is a savior who notices, he sees the needs of people. He's a savior who has compassion on them. A savior who calls us to prayer. And that leaves us with a call to respond to, to answer to. Today's message is entitled, Good for the Brokenhearted. Last week or a few days ago, I was at an annual meeting of free church pastors for churches of our size. The second day, I was walking in right as our president, Kevin Complin, who was here last fall to speak. We were walking in together, and we were heading up the stairs in this church, and we heard a horrible sound behind us. We turned and and saw that a woman had, had missed the step, and she fell backwards three steps onto a concrete floor. Her coffee went everywhere, and just in the couple seconds it, turned, it took for Kevin and I to turn around, the blood began to pool around her head. We all jumped into action and, and helped in any way we could, and it was neat to see how people just rushed to her aid, caring for her. She was confused. She didn't know who she was or where she was. I kept thinking, a church is a great place to need help. We stayed with her until the paramedics arrived and she began to realize who she was, but she kept trying to get up and we wouldn't let her and we kept applying pressure to her need. Many years ago, my wife and I and my parents were driving north on I-5, just north of Sacramento, California. As I was driving along, I noticed the car in front of us started to swerve a little bit. Next thing I know, there was just a, a cloud of dust, and this car began to tumble and ended up against the fence in the middle of I-5 on its left side. Just curious to see if they were okay, my father and I ran to the, to the car and started to look through the windows and realized that she had a little toddler in a car seat in the back, and she was stuck in the side, now still hanging on her seatbelt. 
did my best to climb up the, back side, the bottom side of the car without burning myself on the exhaust and, and dropped down into the back seat and began to lift this little toddler out. I realized it was very hard to hold a door open with one hand and hold, put a toddler out with the other. It was far harder to get her out of the car. I remember trying to straddle the bottom and the top of the door, hold the door open and, and lift this woman out. There were people waiting to receive her as I let her down. It was so cool to see the compassion of people in that moment and my father praying with them right there on the side of I-5. Perhaps some of you remember the name Bridget Gurney. In 1985, Bridget was 49 years old and she was walking home from a dental appointment and the unthinkable happened. A massive crane fell from a building onto her. Defying all the odds, she survived the incident. She even walked again. She lived to be 85 and just passed away back in 2021. For six hours, this massive crane had her pinned to the ground. Her legs were pinned. Emergency workers worked feverishly to, to get her out. And, and you got to go, how did she make it through that? The first person that, that got to her saw her condition and he reached down and he just grabbed her hand and he held her hand. And in this awkward position, he held her hand for six hours until her legs were finally freed. She was lifted out and rushed to the hospital and surgery after surgery. Two months later, she was released to go home. As she was released, a local news crew filmed the whole thing and, and then interviewed her. And, and one of the questions was, was, how could you possibly survive that? And her answer was simple. What kept me alive is that he held my hand. The wonderful act of compassion, that a, that a person would hold the hand of a, a complete stranger in her most whole, horrible time of need, it reminds us of the power of compassion. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that kind of compassion and you're so grateful for it and you know how wonderful it is. Or you've come to know the, the deep joy of giving that kind of care, right? It's wonderful. There's great power in compassion. It's so good to receive in, in a time of need and such a blessing to extend to others. As you and I learn Jesus, as we study the Gospels, we, we've noticed that he that he is aware of the marginalized people. He had compassion on them. And that kind of compassion was so rare, especially in that day and age where there was such a judgmental hierarchy of people. As a result, Jesus drew great crowds. As believers, you and I are also to be people of great compassion. In today's text, Jesus had been busy teaching and healing uh, those in need. But Matthew seems to want us to notice some things. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to be starting in verse 35. As Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers 
into his harvest. Would you pray with me? Father, may we glean from your word today just what we need to know. And maybe it's because of our own condition, our own need, our own pain. Or maybe just out of a position of blessing, we see that we can be a blessing to others. Father, would you take this time? Would you use it? Would you be glorified in it? Would you just show us what we need? And Father, accept our praises and our offerings. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. And notice that Matthew reaffirms what he'd already been pointing at, at in the context, right? As we look at the context, he'd raised a little girl back to life, and then he healed a woman of a long-term health issue, and we're going to be examining that in Luke's gospel here in a few weeks. He healed the blind. He, he, he gave voice back to the mute who was demon-possessed. And this type of thing was happening all around that region, wherever Jesus went. Look at verse 35 again. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. All the cities and villages. Think about that. This is quite a statement. Teaching and preaching the gospel, healing every disease and affliction. Can you imagine that? What a sight. What a wonderful thing to behold to see all that going on. And these are important details because they set up the significance of of what Matthew highlights in our text. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Clearly, this was not the beginning of Jesus noticing, right? Of him seeing people. It's as though Jesus in this moment, is taken by the magnitude of the need. And he wants to communicate something more. You see, Jesus is a Savior who sees the needs of people. We've talked about it before. It's so important. What does Matthew say? He saw the crowds. Obviously, Matthew's not informing us that Jesus had good eyesight. Okay? Jesus is not just seeing them. He's seeing them as they are, which is needy, in need of compassion and care. He sees the need. How do you and I see the people around us in daily life? Remember last week I highlighted how how unique we all are. 8.1 plus billion people, and yet we're unique how do we see the people all around us? I think we, we typically categorize people pretty quickly. If you don't think you do that, at least remember back to the junior high and high school days, right? You got what, n- nerds, geeks, cool kids, whatever, stylish dressers. In, in my day, if you didn't have Levi's jeans, you were, you were pretty much out. Uh, you have the athletes, the jocks, the emo types, maybe you're familiar with that, or goth kids. But we categorize people by ethnicity, by education, by their careers or lack thereof, by maybe by the decisions they've made in the past. It might be as simple as, as what they drive or where they live. Sometimes we might be able to resonate with various TV programs or sitcoms because they highlight stereotypes that exist all around us. But the good news here 
To Jesus, you are more than your ethnicity, your work. You're more than what you own or don't own. You are more than the sum of your sins and mistakes in life. I hope that means something to you. And as believers in Christ, you and I need to to see people as Jesus did. And how did he see them? He, He didn't see them as a cultural stereotype. People are more than their stereotypes. He saw them as individuals who were in need. Matthew tells us that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Harassed. You and I know what it means to harass or be harassed. I love to harass my kids in a a fun way. But it means to, to annoy, to bother, to pick on. Today we might say bullied. Helpless. The the Greek rito means thrown down or hurled away or dejected, to be dejected. So Jesus looks out the crowd and he he saw them as cast out, as harassed, as, as bothered, as thrown down, as hurting, as bullied. Like sheep without a shepherd. We all know that that's not good, isn't it? Sheep without a shepherd. He he sees that no one is leading them. He has compassion on them. Understand, this is a religious description. The scribes and Pharisees of the day who who should have been teaching and should have been caring for them, should have been shepherding them, were oppressing them. How tragic. It's tragic. Jesus sees this, and he has compassion. Later in Matthew, uh, Jesus is recorded as saying this in, in Matthew 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Ouch! He's calling the the religious leaders, these scribes, he's calling them children of hell. Why? Rather than opening the door and compassionately caring about the people, they're slamming the door of the kingdom in people's faces. And Jesus sees this in this moment. He's having compassion on them. He shut the kingdom of heaven in their faces. They hinder people from the kingdom of heaven with their rules and their laws. Think back to that Luke passage we studied a few weeks ago. Uh, Jesus allows the, the woman to anoint his feet, and, and the others are there. What are they wanting to do? They want to judge. They want to accuse. They want to enforce the rules. We are like Jesus when we show kindness and compassion to the unbeliever, to one another. We are like Jesus when we show Kindness and compassion to the unbeliever, to one another. Sadly, all too often we Christians kind of expect people's lives to change before they encounter Christ. How ridiculous and completely unfair. 
We expect a certain level of morality or behavior, but their heart hasn't been, been grabbed by the king. Our Lord sought out those who needed him. In 1865, when William and Catherine Booth founded the Salvation Army, they focused their ministry on the overlooked, the harassed, the helpless, the abused, the marginalized in London. In London, there was an annual tradition of of churches uh, sending out representatives and calling people to their services. And and each would call to his own group. The Anglicans would go out and they would call out to the Anglicans saying, come to church. And the Methodists would go out and they would would call out the Methodists to come to church. And the Catholics would go and they would call the Catholics to come to church. And the Booths would, would then seek those who had not been called. Booth would go out and he would shout, all you who have no one, come with me. Oh, that God would give us eyes to see the harassed and the helpless of our day. Matthew shows us Jesus is the Savior who's moved to compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion to to have pity, to feel great affection or concern for, to feel deep empathy for. He was moved greatly by their heartbroken condition. They had needed spiritual shepherds, but instead they had cruel, hypocritical, religious oppressors. They needed relief, care, and hope, not more judgment. Our Savior was greatly moved in spirit by the plight of these people. We know that his ultimate display of of care and compassion would be going to the cross. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still in that condition. Not fixed up and cleaned up first. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He welcomes us in our harassed and helpless condition. For believers, this calls us to action. Yes, we must see with the eyes of Jesus, but we, we, must, we, we must certainly not overlook look the hurting and, and the marginalized or the broken-hearted or the isolated. But it's not enough to just see them, to notice them. We must be moved to compassion. Francis Schaeffer said, Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. When there's no compassion in the church, all you have left is heartless, cruel legalism. And Jesus' actions here are the proof that compassion for the lost and hurting is at the very core of his mission. That's what he was here to do. Luke tells us at one point Jesus was was being critiqued and, and questioned, and the religious leaders then asked Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. 
He came to deliver compassion and calling sinners and calling them to repentance. But understand, this involved reaching into their hurt, meeting them where they were, seeing their needs, having compassion for them. As Christians, we cannot allow ourselves to believe that we can possibly be like, look like, or live like Jesus without compassion being a central part of our lives, even if it's really uncomfortable. I met a man downtown a few weeks ago, clearly distressed. I was hoping to to help him a little bit more. He, He was just rambling and talking as fast as he could, and Ended up giving him a ride and, and trying to care for him. I had not solved his problems, and I wish I could. And, and yet, I, I remember thinking, he's not beyond your reach, God. You are powerful. As Christians, we need to remember that we are empowered agents of grace. Not just agents of grace, we are empowered We function in the power of the Spirit of the living God. Not always easy, but central to our faith. Where would you and I be without the compassion of Christ? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at Matthew 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is a Savior who calls us to pray. Notice Jesus sees the crowd. He has compassion. But he then turns and he addresses his disciples. And he presents this agricultural illustration now. He says, look, the the harvest is plentiful. There's there's low-hanging fruit all around, right? But it's a big job. It's a really, really big job. It's an interesting statement and imperative here. A big, important job to be done. So ask God to send help. Simple yet important observation here. Ask God to send workers into his harvest field. Don't miss it. It's not yours. Ask God to send workers out into his harvest field. I want you to stop here for a minute. This is big. This is God's mission. It's his harvest. And he greatly cares about this. You want to have a quick answer to a prayer? Pray what he cares about. Think of it in this agricultural description. Think about this manager going to the, to the landowner and saying, you know, I've, I've went and I've, and I've looked over the fields, and guess what? Harvest is going to be good. It's going to be really good. But the manager's going, I'm going to need you to get us more help. We're, we're going to need more people. It's in the interest of that landowner to say Yes. To send those workers out into the harvest field. We have prayer Zoom meetings at 7 a.m. on on Sunday and on on Tuesdays as well. 
And you can jump in on that. It comes from the email. You get a link. But, you know, we aren't asking God to provide us people who need Jesus. They're already all around us. Jesus tells his disciples to ask God earnestly for more laborers to go out into his field. He will provide for his mission. That's so reassuring. He will provide. Yet, it, to me, it's curious that he wants us to ask. Jesus tells us, ask him. But then do you realize that you might be the answer to that prayer? When God helps you see, and God helps you have compassion for the lost, something happens. And caring for them and sharing the good news of Jesus with them becomes something that you've got to be part of. You're part of that mission. Are you willing to, to be the answer? So as believers, there is a call for us to answer as well. You and I know that from Acts 1-8 and from the Great Commission, that, that we as believers are called into the mission of taking the good news to the world around us. How will you answer that call? I mean, it's about you now. How are you going to handle it? In case you haven't noticed, we live in a world where pain is all around us. Any given number of you right now today are in some sort of pain. You're, you're struggling with something in life, and, and it's hard. I get it. It was C.S. Lewis who said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Folks, there are people in pain all around us. But do we have the eyes to see? Are we willing to look? Are we willing to notice? Sure, we're willing to categorize people and just try to sum them up and figure them out right away, but are we willing to, to truly notice and to have compassion? Remember from last week, John Stott, suffering can be within the orbit of God's care. Is God doing a good thing in the midst of something that's so hard? God can and will use pain in our lives, in the lives of the people around us. Maybe it was during a season of pain where, where you found Christ. And maybe life was falling apart all around you and you came to that realization, there's got to be more, there's got to be some other answer to this. Everything I've done to try to, to ease the pain, to, to lift my own heartbreak is not working. There's got to be another answer. And God, in his grace, allowed you to hear the good news of Christ. Somebody cared enough to notice you, to care for you, to share with you the hope in Christ. Maybe the people around you are ready to experience, first of all, the love and compassion of Christ, but then to hear the good news of Christ. And if not you, then who? Ever thought about that? Folks, there are people in your world that, that we pastors or staff here, our elders or elders' wives, uh, we'll never meet. 
but they're in your sphere. They're in your world. If not you, then who? I believe that most of us would be quick to run to the aid of this woman that fell down the stairs or needed help getting out of a car or even hold a hand of someone under a crane. But what about the people that are harassed and helpless all around us who are lost in the confusion of a sin-darkened world? If, if not you, then, then who? Yes, the, the mission is massive. It's worldwide. It's global. It's massive. The harvest is plentiful, but it's not just global. It's also personal. It's easy for us to go, oh, this, is, this project, pro- problem is so big that other people are going to have to do it. Or this, is, this problem is so, so big that this, God's just going to have to do some miraculous and it'll, it'll be okay. It's personal. We're invited into that mission as believers in Christ. Do you and I do what really matters to Christ? When push comes to shove, is that what we do? Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to just pause and, and give you thanks and praise and adoration that you're a God who cares, that, that you sent your Son to see the harassed and the helpless to look past the prideful ones who thought they knew it all and and to go to those who just needed help. Father, would you remind each person in here right now that you know their hurt. You see it. And that you were moved to compassion by and that's why you sent your son. And Father, we thank you that as Jesus lived, he, he showed a different way. He he lived it out. He modeled it. He was caring and compassionate. And Lord, may that just be soothing to the hearts of those who are hurting today. May they just be encouraged to know that you notice and you care. And Father, may they even reach out right now for a relationship with Christ. Father, for those of us who know how good you are and have experienced it, would you stir our hearts to compassion? Would you give us eyes to see and hands that are willing to reach out with tender kindness and compassion, modeling after our Savior. And Lord, may we not believe that we're just doing it in our own strength, but may we realize that we are spirit-empowered agents of grace, that you will take it and you will do something wonderful with it for your glory and for your honor. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.